Welcome back to another episode of High Flyer TV. Before we get started, I want to let you all know that the opinions and ideas shared are strictly ours and not the opinions or ideas of the 338th Recruiting Squadron. Today, we have Sergeant Slickermeyer back for our initial appointment series. And today, we're going to discuss uh, flight policies and timelines to make sure that your appointments are on the same page as you each step of the way. So without further ado, Sergeant Slickermeyer, welcome back. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. You know, the weather's getting better. You know, uh, being up here in the north, um, it's not as fun during most months. But uh, spring, summertime, those are my months right there. I know, man. Can we get out of the office a little bit more? Maybe hit up the, the zone rather than trying to stay in, bundled up, stay warm. So I get it. Exactly. All right, man. Well, hey, man, you know, last episode, you shared some good information about controlling appointments. We had some great dialogue, and I hope individuals learn from that. Um, today, we're really going to talk about some important things that uh, they don't really teach in recruiting school. So, you know, I, I, when it comes to timelines, when it comes to your flight policies, we talk about impact, but we don't discuss when it comes to the mechanics of processing and how your flight operates and how the squadron may need to control, um, you know, the job process and all the things like that when it comes time to reserving careers. So, uh, What's your experience with that? And how's your flights policy in, in that regard? Yeah, so, um, I mean, if you start from the beginning, right, uh, especially if you're a new recruiter, um, you need to understand your flight policy, talk with your flight chief. Each flight has a different one. So what, uh, what me and Sergeant Kendrick might talk about, um, it might be different in your flight. So make sure you're, you're getting with your flight mates and your, um, your flight chief to know exactly what yours is. Um, but for ours, right, um, for the flight policy, um, if it, it comes really down to the processing time windows and things like that, um, job policies to, um, you know, what's expected of that applicant from the beginning. Um, so with that, right, if, if they're a, like a clean pre-screen, uh, simple pre-screen, um, there should be going up to MEPS um, the next available day. Um, so you should be waiting out two weeks to send them up to MEPS. Um, you know, uh, there really shouldn't be any huge um, issues that come up to where they have to reschedule or do anything like that. Like you need to make sure you say like, Hey, these are the times that you can go up to MEPS. Um, you can open up, once you get them through that process of your initial appointment, you can open up the window um, and see what, what your MEPS schedule looks like um, and go from there. And I, that's what I do. I open up the, once I'm done with the initial appointment, we sign all the forms. I'm like, all right, next step is to get you up to MEPS. And here's some days that are available. And usually I'll try to pick two days for them. Like, Hey, if these two days don't work for you, or if it's full, then the next two days are going to be um, your days. Um, so they, you're on that same page. They see it, you see it, you can kind of explain the reasons why. Um, but that's that's um, up front. They they got to understand that that they're not going to be dragging their feet for the next week or two, um, trying to you know stall and going to maps or whatever. Um, and then with the job policy for us, we list uh, 12 jobs in two aptitude areas. Um, and depending on if they're low qualified, um, which means I don't say low qualified, minimum qualified on that side of it, it's that they have to list security forces, right? They have to qualify for security forces to be able to dip in. Um, so that's something you need to share with them as well, especially if they scored kind of low on the APT and you're going to go send them up to one stop. Um, they'd be like, hey, you, you got to understand you got to get at least a 31 overall, but a 30 in the general category. To be able to qualify for the Air Force, um, so that's one. That's our policy and stuff like that too. So you gotta make sure you set them up for success. That you don't you're not blindsiding them when they're up at MEPS or when they get back and you do your job counseling and they're like, "What? I got all these twelve jobs." You know, 
Um, and then explain the aptitude areas too, very in detail on the initial appointment as well. Um, Cause they're gonna come up, you know, and you wanna have that conversation early in the process as possible, not after they've already signed their, you know, their contract at MEPS. Cause then they're like, oh man, he's not giving me all the information later on, you know, after I've already decked in, right? So make sure you're setting them up for success on that way too. Um, and yeah, anything kind of different for your flight policy, Sergeant Kendrick? Uh, no, so ours is pretty, pretty much the same. Our flight chief considers um, a person that's not qualified for at least six of the jobs that are needed. So we have a, a list of the careers that are usually available based on the yearly accession plan. And if a person is not qualified for at least six of those, they're considered minimally qualified. And at that point, they have to list everything that they uh, qualify for. And, you know, like Sarge Sligamar is saying, we have to make that transparent from the beginning. So don't be afraid to talk about aptitude areas, about how the process works, because those things are inevitable. You can't really change those things. Also, uh, with waivers, if an individual's waiver, uh, a waivered applicant, you know, for us doing, we're doing a waiver for them. In return, they have to be flexible when it comes to filling short notice fields and filling careers that we need to fill in case somebody has an injury, et cetera. So understand your flight policy and don't be afraid to express and explain it to your applicants because you should have a, a copy of it in your office to further justify your claims, but also you should just be uh, uh, able to explain it to them as well and not be af uh, afraid of a challenge on that or them asking questions because the policy is the policy. You know, I usually tell applicants that the, the, the way the process works is, is, is something that's not gonna change, you know, it's a constant. Mm -hmm. But the variables are what you qualify for, um, your ASVAB scores. Those are the things you can really somewhat control. But the way the process is going to work, you have to be okay with that. And if you're not, then unfortunately, maybe this isn't the right uh, uh, branch for you. Okay. So make sure you're really following those, those policies. But 12, we do 12 and 2 as well. I mean, and honestly, if you, if, if you have a flight policy, but you want to beef it up some more, I mean, hey, tell them it's 14 and 2. You know, why not? Mm -hmm. It's just going to increase their odds of reserving jobs, you know, because we start off as 10 and 2, and then um, I was saying 12 and 2. So we kind of adapt, uh, adopted that 12 and 2 because why not add more um, if you can? So pretty much the yeah, same. And then, yeah, and, and uh, kind of one thing, like you said, you want to add a little bit more to it. I kind of uh, put in, you had to put in at least um, four or five mechanical or electrical career fields. Um, so it, especially if they're, you know, so they're also for us as well, they can only list um, two or two medical or admin jobs, right? Um, jobs that are super hard to get, right? So it limits them from listing all medical jobs out of that, those 12 jobs. And then it's still us back to, okay, you can only really book about three of your jobs you put on your list. Um, so that kind of makes it even, um, makes them more successful in booking, um, but also makes it so that they're, they're, they understand it from the beginning that we're here to make sure that they're successful in the process, not that they sit here for five, six months before they even book a job. Um, so that's another thing. You got to make sure that the, the timeline, you explain the reasons how jobs are booked too. Like we can't get a job. The Air Force is not hiring for it, just like every other business. We can't have everyone in the uh, Air Force be like, like a firefighter like I was. We got to have mechanics and uh, cops and all that other stuff. You got to qualify for the career field. So we can't get a job. We don't qualify for you can't keep your job leaving before you can leave, right? So the earlier you're put on the, the availability day, the more jobs that are available to you. Um, so that's another way that you can make them flexible too. Um, and then 
Uh, outside of that, it's their personal preference. So they do have a lot of say in what they want to do. Um, but unfortunately, they can't be like, I want that job, right? So just one thing that I found out that made it, makes it a little bit easier. Um, and plus, like I have that flight policy printed out and highlighted those areas and it's sitting on my desk. Um, so when I ask them or tell them that stuff, I'm like, hey, it's, it's our flight policy. Everybody who sits at that desk, you, you, they fill out the same policy. Um, so you're, it's not um, it's not just me, right? It's it's everybody who has to do this because we want to make sure that you're successful in this process. Yes, definitely. And, and speaking on that point, um, one thing a, a old flight chief told me, which was very important, uh, you know, I, I was getting caught up in trying to please everyone, every appointment I had and make sure that I was able to get them their top job and, and everything. And he, he told me, he said, the most important stakeholder in this process is the Air Force. Okay, so the, 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 the everybody is important, your applicants, but it's a healthy balance because your job is still to be an Air Force recruiter. You're not the applicant's name uh, recruiter. You know, you're an Air Force recruiter. So what you're, what you're recruiting for is the Air Force. Okay, so make sure that when, when, you, when you're conducting these appointments, try to always have that healthy balance of, hey, I'm going to try my best to make sure that the applicant is getting something that they are remotely interested in, maybe the maybe that area, but they still have to be okay with what the Air Force is looking to 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 feel because if that doesn't align, what it's going to do for you is it's going to make you unsuccessful as a recruiter and you're not going to make goal and, you know, you may have a lot of people you're recruiting, but they're not listing what's what the Air Force need is. And just always related back to you being in the Air Force, we all understand how important the mission is. So we still have a mission to accomplish and you have to get them prepared. And I always tell them too, hey, this is the way it works in the Air Force your whole career. So this is the first point where you really have to be okay with this. So if you're not okay with this, the way this process works, you're not gonna be okay with how things work in the future. Cause I'll tell them, hey, um, this is almost my, this is my ninth year. And when I submitted my assignment preference list, I still had to make a preference list of eight locations. It wasn't like I got to pick. So even nine years later, you're still going to have to make preference lists based on what's available. So just kind of setting that tone for them. And, 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 and if they're not willing to accommodate that, then it might not be the best thing for them. This may not work for them. Right. And, and um, what my Fletchies always told me is you got to be willing to step away from from the cell, right? Um, so this person may want to join the Air Force, but they're making all these demands, like I don't want to list 12 jobs, I want my number one job, or you know, I, don't, I want to go to MEPS in two weeks, not next week, or um, you gotta be willing to be like, all right, um, if you're not going to follow the steps and the process that I'm laying out before you, then you're, you're just not going to be able to join the Air Force at this time, right? Um, even if you're, you're kind of looking at not making goal or something like that, you gotta really think about it. Do you want this person in your debt? Do you want this person in the Air Force who is demanding things from you? You know, especially someone who hasn't even made it through basic training yet. Um, and they're talking to an NCO, like, no, nah, you're gonna do what I say. And that's just not, that attitude's not gonna fly. Um, and so a potential can down the road, um, you know, especially if they don't get their number one job, you know, they're disgruntled and then they're telling everybody else in your debt, you know, or whatever, you know, whatever it can be, you know, got to be willing to step away from it um don't get caught up with you're going you're, you're the servant to them right you're you're here to serve them um you're here to definitely make sure that they they're successful in the process um but you, you can't just bend the knee and do whatever they ask it's just not going to work 
and really we can't even do that anyways we don't have that much power yeah, as no. a recruiter anyway. <laughs> we really don't i mean i and yeah. i'm transparent with them i tell them all the time mm -hmm. hey just so you know uh me and you we have a lot of control over scheduling your ASVAB, you know, preparing for that, making sure you get uh, uh, all your paperwork done. But when it comes to you going to MEPS and you actually having to qualify with the MEPS doctors and then you reserving a career, hey, that's where our control stops. You know, so just know me and you are in this together, but I'm being transparent with you on what we have control over. And you want to set that tone because they will think that you have the almighty power to get yep. anything and everything they want if you don't draw the line and then that's where you set yourself up for failure um because exactly. you really you really don't have have that stuff and you really you really don't want like sergeant slickermeyer said you don't want to be so invested in hey i gotta make gold that you're still not realizing that also as an air force recruiter you're trying to find the best fit for the air force and if this person isn't going to be willing to listen or accommodate to the process they may not be the best fit and later on down the road there's still going to be a can. It's just, there's no point in making gold if they're all going to be cans anyway. Right. They're still going to lose a body. So making sure that you know you're making those those correct decisions at the beginning. And if you're if you're confused, always consult with your flight chief or your flight mates so that way you can get a different perspective on, you know, hey, is this person a good fit? Am I am I looking at this correct? Or hey, do I need to take a step back and just be okay with with not uh selling this person which sometimes that's okay right and uh i know we wanted to talk about the the timeline processes and stuff like that for processing for the timeline stuff um so uh like once they're done with the initial appointment right um you, you sign all the forms right you you pick a day to get up to meps or you know if you got to do a med read you know you're like hey the med reads could be done today i'm going to send it up tomorrow or whatever let them know once that doctor says your the cmo says you're good to go i'm going to call you and we're going to schedule a day all right um so be ready on that side of it but also you got homework to do right you got to do that the afsep you got to do your background investigation stuff and make sure you set a deadline usually i like to say make sure like if they're a simple pre-screen you're getting that stuff done tonight right because i want to be able to submit your you for meps tomorrow morning because we all know meps only looks at those things you know at like between 6 30 and 7 o'clock in the morning <laughs> <laughs> you know, so if you're if you don't make it by that time, you ain't getting scheduled until the next day. Um, so I like to make sure they get done. If they're like, I know they're gonna need a, a med read. I'm like, all right, like get it done by Friday. Um, or like my appointment yesterday, he's a med read. Um, so I was like, you need to have it done by nine o'clock Monday morning. All right. Um, and then the the AFWIN link as well. It's like, hey, you need to have that done by nine o'clock Monday morning. All right, no excuses. All right, if you're having issues, let me know Friday. But you gotta you gotta make sure you get it done. Um, and then if they're going to take the PICAT, um, then make sure they have that PICAT done at a certain time as well um, and, and all that stuff. So make sure you're setting them up for success um, from at the, the earliest point in the process as possible that they understand what's going to happen next. So when they come back and they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't get my asset. I didn't get my background investigation stuff done. But we had that conversation in the office. What's going on? Right. And so you can gauge on what's what's the issue. Is it? Were they just being lazy? Do they not care as much as they as you thought they did? Or they having second thoughts? You know, like what like you can bring up those valid issues on the reasons why they didn't get a simple test done, you know. Um, or if it's like, hey, they try to do it, but they couldn't because you know the website's wonky or whatever, right? Well, like, well, why didn't you let me know that? I told you to let me know if you're having any issues. 
Um, so you can kind of gauge what kind of applicant is going to be. That's when they start, things are starting to, uh, the process is starting to rely on them, right? Them to do the things that they need to do to be successful, right? Doing the asset stuff's kind of out of your hands, right? You can't, you know, I mean, you can go in and, and knock it out, but, you know, it, it's not going to be right. So you got to make sure that they're doing the things to be successful. And that gauges their level of commitment early on in the process before you get too invested where they're, you know, a debt member and then now they got a job and now you get a can or an in week or whatever, right. Later down the road because of whatever reason. So, um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I speaking on that timeline too, I mean, I think it's important, you know, just saving time to do all of the things as much things as you can prior um, and setting them up. So like with me, when I set an appointment, I send an appointment text, that appointment text has our, our website mm -hmm. in there. So they, they're mandated to watch the ID2A on the website, as well as the, um, the squadron PSA that explains um, potential timelines. So they're, they're watching those too. So that way when they come into the office, they already have that uh, uh, tone set that, hey, I'm already gonna be in a professional environment. I understand the timelines a little bit. And they also watched a video by uh, Jody with the Y um, about what to know prior to meeting with Air Force recruiter. And that video really sets the tone for them to know, hey, what, what are, what's already gonna happen? So that way, when they come into your office, when you explain these things, you're not really having to push a lot because they already understand, hey, this is how, this is this kind of what I watch and how it's gonna go. Um, so making sure, I mean, and now with the AECP, you know, that's definitely something I make a homework assignment after we do the appointment. It's usually do that that day as well for me. But uh, if you're the type of recruiter who likes um, hand jamming SF-86s, hey, send them a, send them a digital, send them a digital SF-86 oh, prior to the appointment. I used to do that previous before AECP, but if you still like yeah. that, have them do that before the appointment. So that way when they bring it in there, boom. But if you're doing AECP, you know, you don't got to do much, much work. So you can have them do that as a homework assignment. So just thinking of creative ways to do as much administrative uh, work prior to them coming to an appointment. If they need medical records, hey, tell them to bring their medical records in. Make sure you highlight all the dates. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can try to explain how to, to how to put it in order if they can if they can do that. Have them bring things prepared so that way when you meet with them, everything's quick. Less work you got to do. So timelines are important. Exactly. I mean, it's it's like you're saying, man. It saves time, tons of time if if they have everything set up before they even come in, like. Even something simple as the um, the APT, right? Um, if they, they obviously they have that done, that's thirty minutes. You're not wasting your office, you know, having them sit in your office take a, take a test. Um, especially if they don't pass, right? They roll like a twelve. You know, you're not holding that appointment, so that's an hour that you blocked off that now is wasted. You got to try to find something to do. Um, so having that done prior is is very important, and I've I've come up with that argument, right? Oh, what, what if they cheat? What if they do all this stuff? Man, if they cheat at home there and they score whatever on the APT, it's going to come out at MEPS anyways when they take the real ASVAB or the PICAT. Um, that's something we just can't help. You know, tell them, hey, don't cheat. Don't use a calculator. Don't use all that stuff. But um, oh, I always try to get that done um, before the appointment. If they can't, for whatever reason, because you need to have a laptop um, for it. And some people don't have laptops. Um, and all the libraries are still kind of kind of closed a little bit. So I was like, all right, well, you're coming 30 minutes early for your appointment time. And I have the computer set up, ready to go. All I got to do is I just got to type in their code um, and have them take a test while I'm doing something else for 30 minutes. 
Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, I mean, those there's some good things to, re- to learn, especially as new recruiters, to set that foundation for yourself. Uh, it will decrease stress, you know, it will decrease the amount of time you're spending doing things. And it'll make your process more efficient, you know, and, and that's what brings more business sometimes too. You know, individuals like to be in structured processes where they feel like they're continuously moving. Um, and going through it. Even if, even if they take a long time to do something, they still feel like, dang, this is really a good process. This person has me just moving through, you know, along. I'm not waiting on this person. I, you know, I hear a lot of times people are like, hey, I can't get in contact with my recruiter or, you know, I just, after the first appointment, I just never, you know, heard from them. You want to always strive to have a continuous uh, flowing process. So, um, you know, wanted to talk about those things and, you know, our aim is to keep it, keep it short. So, we will come back uh, with another episode to this appointment uh, series because this is probably one of the the most vital parts of, of this process, actually conducting and hosting appointments, okay? So uh, this has been uh, High Flyer TV where we report the real on recruiting. Thank you, Sergeant Slickermeyer. Until next time.